here. Hello and welcome back to Blockchain Insider. I'm Simon Taylor and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, the one and only Kai Sheffield, head of crypto at Visa. How are you doing today, Kai? I am doing fantastic and excited for this episode. Two of my favorite people in the crypto and NFT ecosystem. It's going to be fun. Oh my goodness. Could We couldn't have timed this one any better. As you mentioned, we are talking about NFTs or non-fungible tokens. And well, on the news show that was last week, we, we covered this this company you might have heard of, the Border Crypto Punk, which is an NFT. Um, what was that company called, Kai? Visa Border Crypto Punk. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? That, that apparently that broke the um, the crypto Twitter sphere. It's kind of the equivalent to the internet, or at least in my world anyway. Um, but the, look, the whole space is blowing up, getting mainstream attention, and everybody from Tim Berners Lee to Banksy to Gary V to Lionel Messi, it, it there's big things happening in that sort of like celeb world coming into crypto, but also there's the whole space emerging around this and a, and a movement that's really exciting. So to unpack this. We're going to try and get through some questions like, what actually is an NFT? How do they work? And are they a toy or is there something lasting here? And to dig into this, we're joined by some incredible guests. Um, let's start off with Maria Shen, who's partner at Electric Capital. Welcome so much to the show, Maria. Can you tell the listeners about uh, Electric Capital and your relationships with uh, NFTs? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Electric Capital is a crypto-focused VC firm based in San Francisco. In a nutshell, our thesis is that crypto will build a parallel financial stack. And NFTs in particular are assets. I think we generally view them as art, as collectibles, but that's not the whole picture. Pun intended, I guess. But uh, NFTs are, are, you know, are really the, the ownable assets that will power that stack. And um, for Electric, we're unique in two ways. Um, our investment team are also entrepreneurs. So uh, Avichal and Curtis, who are the founders of the fund, has started and sold four different companies. The last one they started together and sold to Facebook. The rest of the investment team has kind of similar entrepreneurial beginnings and our founders and operators. The second way we're very unique is everyone on the investment team has an engineering background. And so we we often write a lot of code in-house as well and build a lot of infrastructure. So for example, one of the things we've done is um, crawled almost the entirety of GitHub to figure out how many developers are working in crypto. So how many developers are working in Ethereum? How many developers are working in Bitcoin? How many developers joined in the last four months? And we we like to aggregate that data and publish it out in a developer report every year. The developer report is an amazing resource, and we should talk about that that more. And then uh, alongside Maria, we have Amir Sirsu Carter, who is an artist, a designer, an entrepreneur, you know, founder of you know, Mint Fund, you know, The Well. Uh, Amir, tell the listeners about you know who you are and, and some of the projects you're working on. Sure thing. What's going on, everyone? Uh, my name is Sirsu, uh, or at least that's what I go by on Twitter. It's a play on my middle name, Suhaib, so I like using that. As an artist in this space, um, I make some really cool abstract portraiture. Uh, but one of my biggest things that I really love doing is that I'm inspired by and want to build an amplified community. So a lot of the work that uh, I do in this space is, is all about community um, amplification, um, rallying around particular causes and uh, getting folks the looks that they need so that they can you know perform well in this space. Hence the Mint Fund, uh, which is a community run by artists uh, to help other artists onboard them into the crypto space and mint for free. Then we have The Well, which is going to be sort of the cultural index for Black culture, at least at start, until every culture has its own well. It blends both sort of like archivism, digital archaeology, and of course, the idea of capturing sort of like culture from start to finish. 
Um, and then the last thing that I've been working on too, which is pretty recent, is uh, I've started a decentralized esports team called Blackhand. We just launched that last week. Amazing. <laughs> so much that we, that we can unpack there, but great to have you all on board. Let's get started. Yeah, and let's take it from the top. Um, Amir, I'm going to come to you first, actually. Like, I'd love your definition of NFTs. And let's talk through the process a little bit as well. Like, as an artist, what is an NFT? And what process do you go through in making one, selling one, all of that stuff? Could you unpack that for me? Absolutely. The one thing that I love about NFTs is... is there are two definitions, right? I mean, there's obviously the technical, which would then take into account, you know, uh, cryptographic hash is pushed through the blockchain and assigns all of the metadata. So your title, your description, the actual like data itself of the asset that you're creating a token under. So let's say it's a JPEG, a PNG, a TIFF file, a WAV file, a video, whatever it is, right? Packages all this stuff up puts it onto the blockchain and you sign it with a digital wallet, basically saying that you are the person that has made this thing, right? That's like the first part. But what I'm really more interested in in what NFTs uh, uh, are is that there are a vehicle system. You know, the, what what type of story are you delivering through this uh, these assets that you can track on a public ledger? Um, and because of this sort of like open environment in which everyone can sort of see how these things are being displayed, how these things are being played out. What can you build on top of uh, the work that you've already put out? And so NFTs in a way become like this, uh, this, this conversation. And most recently we can take a look at a project called Loot, um, which was started by uh, Dom Hoffman. And it's uh, a text file, but it's like gear for adventurers. But of course, naturally you go into their discord and you're seeing people building mini games out of this. You're seeing people build uh, uh, customizable characters off of this. And it's just a simple text file that is linked on chain. Um, and so when we think about NFTs, for me, I'm very interested in how we're delivering stories and narrative and accessibility uh, and open participation for, for, for community members to rally around and build cool things out of. For me, that's what NFTs really uh, do well at its, at its most basic form. Maria, I'm interested in your views as well. How would you build on that from a definition? I think that was a fantastic definition. Um, I would say, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, NFTs are assets, but that that almost shortchanges what NFTs could be because they're unlike any assets we've ever seen in history. They're not like houses. They're not like music rights, although they could be. And that's what makes them very powerful. You know, I think the first thing is the community aspect that evolves around NFTs. At the end of the day, humans are very emotional creatures and, and we want the sense of belonging and we want the sense of identity. And I think NFTs give us that because often they are represented as a unique piece of art. And you see people setting the NFTs that they own as not only their profile pictures on social media, but actually tagging you know, their introductions alongside, they'll say, hey, I'm a co-founder, I'm a husband, you know, I'm a father, but I'm also the owner of punk X, Y, and Z. And, and it's actually really become part of an identity. And that's, that's what enables these really, really powerful and passionate communities to form. So NFTs at its core are really, really social assets. And I think the second thing that Amir also hit upon that, you know, I want to give a huge thumbs up to is this social and open nature of NFTs. Every single thing that you do with an NFT, when you transfer it, when you buy it, when you sell it, when you fractionalize it, all of these actions are actually broadcast on chain. And so that's, again, unlike any asset we've seen in the past. When you buy a house or when you buy a Beanie Baby or when you buy a piece of art, 
that's something that's done in private and you can choose to broadcast that if you wish. But with NFTs, that's actually something that is public by default. And so anything you do is public within these communities gets talked about. Bots are scraping constantly what's happening with NFTs. Get, that gets shared around the world. And so effectively, you've created this social newsfeed around everything that's happening with NFTs. But unlike, you know, unlike kind of this proprietary newsfeed, it's actually very participatory. So you can go in, you can make derivative products on top of that. You can extend the storytelling or the lore of the world of certain NFTs. So I, I kind of go back to this concept of NFTs as social assets. I think in every single respect, it, it, it really embodies that definition. Wow. Uh, that's going to be hard to follow. I think there's two things there. Is one, which is art with functionality that lives after the creation. Like you created this thing and now the community can allow that thing. Like imagine if I had a painting, it couldn't have any more functionality than what it does. It's analog. But actually I create this thing that lives in this digital world. And now there's all of this other functionality that the community can wrap around and people can openly wrap around. So that art with functionality is, is, is one thing. And creativity or content with community, social tokens, social goodness. And that's a really powerful thread to unpack. But Kai, you and I know the, I think we both have that boomer, um, TradFi person that lives in the back of our mind that is screaming right now saying, yeah, but like, what does that actually mean? This sounds a lot like a toy. What, what do you say to those folks? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a really good question. And, and frankly, if you've never collected an NFT before, yeah, I think it's a very logical question to have. And I know, you know, when I went through the experience and and I, you know, said, okay, let, let me just figure out how to buy an NFT, you realize that you know what you're purchasing is not is not just a, a JPEG, not an image. You're purchasing a direct social connection to the creator of that image. And so I remember when I bought, you know, one of my first pieces of crypto art from this amazing artist, Latabo Huma. And she shouted me out on Twitter and she's like, thank you to my amazing collector. And I was like, I felt cool. I was like, this artist knows who I am. And many other types of commerce and, and types of interactions, you know, you're just one of many followers and there's not really a way to express, you know, your support for that type of artist. And so I, I think you kind of have to go through the experience yourself, you know, to see that. And particularly with an artist that you care about or a community that you care about, but I'm also curious, Amir, how do you how do you think about just what is the relationship between cryptocurrencies and NFTs? Because I think some people get lost of like, do you have to have a cryptocurrency to create an NFT? Like, you know, how do you think about that? Yeah, so so I want to build off the, the the first thing first. So like, I, I think uh, folks can look at NFTs as toys. And you're absolutely right; they are they are toys. They're very very fun to use. They're very very fun to to to, to play around with. But a toy is kind of the first primitive into going into something a lot more socially inclined that you might feel like build a hobby around. And then that hobby becomes something a lot more personal to you. We all have that thing that like is very playful to us. And in NFTs, I like the playful nature that it can present at first. But the, but to answer your question, cryptocurrency and NFTs. So interestingly enough, when NFTs before they were kind of made into the new standard that we deal with today, they were basically kind of like this modified version of cryptocurrency. Uh, if you take a look at, uh, um, you know, Ethereum and what they would do is they, they would create an ERC20 token, which is more of a fungible type of version of this and create multiple properties on top of it 
that you could assign particular features to or metadata towards. From there, that created what's called a wrapper contract so that you can actually see the metadata itself in a visual image, hence kind of like CryptoPunks and some of the stuff that predates the ERC-721 standard. But do you need cryptocurrency to own NFTs? Well, in certain cases, yes. In other cases, you don't. If you have a platform like Nifty Gateway, for instance, there's a really cool on-ramp where you can use a Visa and <laughs> you can you can pay for an NFT that way. But if you also have a crypto wallet uh, with Ethereum, then that's how you would, that's how most people usually interact by NFTs. Yeah. And then Maria, how do you think about, you know, as an on-ramp into crypto, like there, it seems like there were certain people interested in Bitcoin, certain people interested in DeFi and what are NFTs doing in terms of giving people a reason to create their first crypto wallet? Yeah, it's a great question. For the longest time, I really thought DeFi was going to be the way that mainstream users enter crypto. You have interest rates going at 20% or above 20%. And meanwhile, in the, in, in the quote unquote real world, interest rates were, were close to zero. And so my logical thought was, well, everyone wants these interest rates. Everyone's going to come, come into crypto to, to take advantage of this and, and actually participate in this open finance world. But that just wasn't the case. I mean, I, I think... People understand art and human connection and creators much, much better than they understand or, or want to participate in like high interest rate or high yield, you know, high yield financial products. Um, and that's what that's that's the allure of NFTs, right? Is that Kai, you mentioned this in the beginning, which is that you're really buying when you purchase an NFT or when you own an NFT, you're actually being inducted into this community. And these communities are very tangible, right? These are communities of thousands of people on Discord. Sometimes you have Discord channels that are gated by the types of tokens that you own, meaning that you can actually verify if the owner, um, if, if this member is a owner of a certain NFT. And if so, then there are secret or kind of members only discord channels that they can un unlock. And, you know, I, I think it could sound exclusive, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's actually just who, who are the people in the world that share common interests with you and how do you aggregate them together in online spaces? And NFTs allow that to happen very, very easily in a way that you can't really lock online experiences based on physical assets people own, but you can do it with a digital internet native asset. And, and I think that sense of belonging, that sense of community, that sense of wanting to commune with people who who share your interests is a really, really powerful pull into the crypto world. I, if I can sort of unpack that again, because I've still got the boomer on, on, on my shoulder who's hearing great things about, and maybe I just am that guy, who knows, that's hearing about all of this stuff and and just kind of wants to unpack the definition one more time. So I'm going to try something, and, and you guys correct me if I get this wrong. So just throwing myself out there. I try and read an NFT backwards. So I start with token, which is something that represents access or ownership. And there are many types of token. A key to your house is technically a token because it gives you access. A, a token can be coins and notes in your pocket because it represents value that moves around. In this case, we're talking about a cryptographic token that uh, really is registered on a blockchain. So rather than it being registered in the land registry or or with, uh, with, with a deed and title to your house somewhere else in a centralized place, it's registered in this open public forum. So that token gives you access to a thing or ownership of a thing um, that exists in this digital native world. Fungible means is... 
uh, exchangeable one-to-one and non-fungible means is not exchangeable one-to-one. So if I give you a dollar and you gave me a dollar, then we net out, we're in the same place. But actually, if I give you a cat and you gave me a dog, then we don't net out. So cats and dogs are not fungible. And one would argue any living thing is non-fungible because they're all unique um, in, in our own ways. How's that as a definition? You can give me a, a, a D minus, an A plus, a, a, a ranking, whatever you want. Because Rob Leshner started it, and I got a B minus, so I'm, I, I can only I can only try and improve. I thought that was an A plus definition. That was fantastic. That's made my week. <laughs> yeah, the access component, I feel like, is one of the the least appreciated pieces of NFTs or, or components where people see the NFT selling for a certain price. They think you're just getting the image. Now, as there's more and more utility being built out where you get access to a private you know, Discord group, and in that Discord group are you know people who could be role models or you know mentors or future collaborators. And so in many ways, it, it, it kind of feels like a, a digital country club, but that is you know much more accessible to people who you know, either have the same level of conviction as each other in a certain technology, but you could actually justify an investment if you can join a network in a group that then, you know, opens up, you know, other opportunities for you, which anyone who's ever, you know, joined a country club before, I haven't, so I I don't even know what it's like, Uh, but I would imagine that it's a similar motivation uh, to buying a CryptoPunk and joining a, a gated Discord. Amir, um, I saw you popping off the mute key. What are your thoughts on this conversation and the community side of it in particular? And have you seen any good examples? Yes. Okay. So I was trying to look up a tweet. So there was a, a conversation that happened with um, one of the, I think she's a, I don't want to butcher her title, but she works with IDOVC. Uh, her name is Paris. Um, and she was talking about access and kind of how like entities in, in a certain case may be like super expensive. And of course, going to the country club dynamic and saying, are we actually really building anything that's truly accessible? And one of the co-founders of Friends with Benefits, Trevor, uh, talked, uh, kind of didn't do a counter, but was in a way sort of talking about how exclusivity, same, similar to what Kai was talking about, like the, the access, the way in which we wield and leverage access really makes the difference between what is sort of like truly inclusive versus what isn't. Um, because in many ways, access also helps prevent bad actors from getting into a particular space and causing harm. And of course, every community has a conversation around what harm means. And I think what's good about uh, these these communities formed around NFTs is that we can have a much more open and public discussion about a lot of those social topics that are much that are normally taboo in regular social circles. When we talk about like harm, for instance, when's the last time you've had a real heart to heart conversation with someone about what that means to you or what that means to 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 the places you navigate um, within? Have you had that kind of real conversation and enforced? many of those things if someone was causing harm to you. In this kind of context now, we we have better tools at, at at least starting that conversation. We have better tools in how to handle it through governance um, and through voting proposals. And so I think what's really interesting about the accessible part in relation to the communities that are being formed, and I think some really good examples of communities being formed, I would say, would be like your, your friends with benefits. I would say uh, from a perspective of how do you grow from a group of friends to a much larger and wider net of really interesting people. I think that's a really dope question that Friends with Benefits as a group has been answering 
um, you know, for the past, you know, three seasons that they've been in existence. Another interesting group that I think is, is really good is I would say the Loop Project because it talks, it, it really highlights the, the wonder of a very simple seedling of an idea. And how do you get people to activate that idea and build on top of it in a really amazing space? I had the Loot Discord open for about eight hours and just saw the the amount of people building the GitHub commits, the open conversation around like how fo- folks are finding consensus in real time. It's like they're building a nation in front of your eyes. It's it's incredible. So I would say I would say uh, uh, the open permissionless pathway in which these groups can be formed around and the access point in which you have to purchase a particular token or you get gifted a token or you earn a token uh, to be a part of this sort of this group really is predicated upon initiative, collaboration, and an active sense of presence. If you have those three things, then you can make anything happen within a particular group. And these sort of crypto communities, whether it's through NFTs, whether it's through like decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs um, or any sort of like hybrid between the two. Those are the three principles that I've seen that help really bring the best communities to light. Amir, I, I want to follow that point because the the level of kind of openness and transparency you see in some of these Discord groups is phenomenal. But again, the boomer in me is like, what's a Discord group? So it's probably worth saying that there are like live chat windows of which people, artists, collectives, individuals, people around the world are spending eight to 10 hours a day building these communities and deciding how to govern treasuries of money that they've received for making these tokens or for creating the art and and everything else and people actively contributing work towards them and indeed being paid by them. So we have an episode coming up all around DAOs in the near future, which we'll, we'll talk to to some of that. But I, I can imagine, Kai, listening to this, I've, I've now understood what an NFT is and largely sort of it, its power, or hopefully we have. But the one question I get, I'm sure you get this a lot, is how do I get started? It's so confusing. Crypto Twitter has its own memes. Everybody's hitting me with GMs all the time. What does that even mean? <laughs> like, to the outside world, like, NFTs are, are confusing and scary. To Once you get into the community, it could be, n- I can't imagine anything more inclusive. But actually, the on-ramp is really hard. So Kai, how, how do you advise people to get started? Yeah, I, I think that, it's clear that today there is pretty high friction to get started of just, you know, I get a lot of questions of, you know, what, what NFT should I buy first? And just, you know, going from, I don't know anything about NFTs to now trying to find an NFT that you want can be really intimidating. And then people are saying, okay, I have $30. You know, I want to buy an NFT. And you're like, well, the gas price, the gas cost got Ethereum, like it's probably going to be more than that. And so I, I think that at least what has changed in the past, I, I'd say six months to some extent, is it used to be that you know you were finding individual artists and you were trying to find a piece of art that appealed to you. And it was, I'd say that it was more akin to like, if you go shopping for art you know, in the real world of uh, where do you start? Like, how do you discover an artist and a piece of work that resonates with you? There's an emotional connection. It's not like you're purchasing it as a financial asset, but something that you want to own. I think one of the reasons the the whole industry is picked up is because now you have these communities, these PFP projects where 
you know, it's easier to join something where there are already 10,000 people. There's already an active Discord group. It's hard for an individual artist that creates a few pieces themselves, you know, to have that type of a community around them from the beginning. And so I'm curious, Maria, you wrote a, a really good blog post. I think it was back in May around new frontiers, you know, for NFTs. What has surprised you as you look at kind of where we are today in August? based upon where we were in May and some of the ideas that you proposed, uh, you know, what were the, the surprises there? Uh, I would say everything was a surprise. When I wrote that blog post in May, I made a bunch of predictions in terms of, you know, what I think was going to happen with NFTs. Um, and in my mind, it would take a few years to realize, right? And maybe some of these ideas are too crazy to be realized. We'll never see it. Um, but they, they actually, like, I would say 80% of everything that I predicted, like, is already existing in the NFT world in some shape or form. Um, and I think in retrospect, it's actually not surprising because crypto is kind of this 24-7 world where everyone who's in it is so excited by the possibilities. They're constantly building. Everyone is up at all times. And so the speed is is going really, really quickly. But there's still frontiers that I think we haven't explored, but some of the really interesting things that have happened um, is, for example, party bid. NFT used to be, <laughs> all the way back in May, used to be this this kind of uh, solo experience that you would have, right? Where you know you you click around, you try to find something that you like and you identify with, and and you purchase that NFT. Um, with the kind of run up in prices, a lot of people were actually priced out of certain NFTs. So like CryptoPunks would be a great example. I think now they're running maybe the floor price is like 400,000, which is which is even even higher than it was, you know, a few days ago. But yeah, so I, you know, something like party bid actually is an interface for people to come together to bid on an NFT together. Um and when you think about that behavior, it's actually really weird and really insane. The first drop that happened is, uh, or the, the kind of first big splash that happened was with a zombie punk where 400 plus complete strangers who didn't know each other decided to lock up more than $3 million to bid on a JPEG of a pixelated punk and won. And, and it was actually very, and, and, and it was very difficult to win. Like there, there was another person bidding against them. And for a while there was a, there was drama that, you know, perhaps there, this, this party of 400 people wouldn't be able to raise enough money to actually win the bid for this crypto punk. And it took a lot of effort from the community to pull in more people, to spread the word, to get more people to contribute. That finally got got it over the line and they were able to close that bid. And then the punk was, you know, and, and then now 400 people own this punk. So like, how do you represent ownership? Well, you represent an ownership by fractionalizing it, meaning that every single person gets a a now fungible token to represent their share of the ownership of the punk. Um, and these were called dead tokens, like DEAD tokens. And then these tokens were able to be swapped for Ethereum, or you know, you, you could theoretically plug them into the DeFi ecosystem. You could theoretically have an options pool going to bet, you know, to hedge against these tokens. Like all of these things became possibilities. You know, and that that happened in August and in, in May, we were still kind of trying to figure out what NFTs were like the, the speed, you know, the speed of this industry is, is 
genuinely astounding. Unreal. Even for someone who's who's looking at it every single day. And I love that point um, because it's it, it's really like if if it seems like it's moving too fast, it's not you. It's people that live in it find it's happening too fast, and that's kind of great if if you're a listener of this. And and Kai, I do think at some point we should just do the like straight instructions for like go get a crypto wallet, go find a project you like, go join a Discord, like go to Discord.com or click an invite link, like that level of simplicity. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, hit us up at podcasts. 11fs.com if you'd like to be involved in something like that maybe we could run a couple of experiments and see what the onboarding experience can be like and and how slick can we make it on that note i am just gonna pause right here so we can uh, thank our sponsors so much and we'll be back very very shortly this episode is brought to you by visa one of the world's leaders in digital payments crypto has opened up a new world of possibility and visa is helping everyone take part Visa enables commerce across their network and crypto networks through solutions like Fintech FastTrack, a quick and easy way for crypto innovators to issue payment credentials. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. Introducing the Truly Digital Manifesto. If you're not truly digital already, well, you're missing out on a massive opportunity. Faster processes, more customer value, and higher revenues. It's not the future. It's already happening. So how do you measure up? Head over to trulydigital.11fs.com to see what it really means to be truly digital. Welcome back to the show. So in the second half, we're going to talk a little bit more about practical applications of NFTs and the evolution of this space. I, I did want to start in, and come back to Amir. You know, I couldn't resist as a liberal arts proponent myself. I think one of the reasons I've just been so fascinated by NFTs is there's so many elements of sociology and anthropology, and you are an anthropology major. And, and it's like, we're living in this world where so much content is being created. How do you decide which content is going to persist for a long period of time? Which content will your kids see? Will you pass down? And you just have an amazing way that that you explain this. So we'd love to hear from you how you think about the historical record and preserving culture using NFTs you know, as a technology. I love talking about this. So when my friend... Layton or late effects on Twitter brought me into the space and told me that he was selling his Instagram filters on blockchain. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? And he shows me his Rarible account, um, which is a open art marketplace. It kind of hit me that we're in a place and in a space where what we make so long as the internet still exists, and it'll probably, it'll definitely exist at least past us, that we are in a way building pathways for creative immortality. There's not been a, a, a particular space in which the work that we make could have some much like much more of a larger guarantee of it persisting throughout time than anything else that we've ever preserved. Like if we think about like traditional art, if it wasn't for museums, well, lightly, because uh, obviously if we think about museums, archaeology and stuff like that, a lot of that is rooted in somewhat of the theft of cultural communities and and now propping it up for their own value. And these cultural communities no longer have ownership of their own culture. And in a way, blockchain kind of can be an enabler to undo that and also create better threads between who we were, our ancestral past and our ancestral culture, 
up into what we're creating now in our future present and anything past that. Um, and so for, for, for me, the blockchain is a, is a discovery tool. It's a, it's a, it's a tool for research. It's a tool for, for conversation and, and creating a stamp in which we can provide and wrap context around. And NFTs are the easiest way to deliver all of that, uh, 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 um, social, like cultural information in a particular space or in multiple communities at any given point in time. Uh, so for me, I'm, I'm very excited about how we become more selective in the works that we not just decide to mint, but decide to support. Whether that's through better overarching narrative uh, related to how these works can speak about us in the future. Um, but ultimately, I think we as a larger group of participants in this creative sphere will end up figuring out how the things kind of like fall where they may based upon uh, other factors. And if we think about, let's say, the crypto cookout, which is building off of what Maria talked about with PartyBid, we had the dead token be purchased. And that was a really cool thing because it's one of the more coveted zombies. But then when we look at two other crypto punks, Holly and Tierra, both sort of like uh, black identifying crypto punks, black women identifying crypto punks, lowest of the floor. Um, and when we talk about floor prices, that basically just means kind of like the cheapest price you could afford of a particular uh, group of, of assets. What we ended up doing uh, in orchestrating a community buyout of these two punks was to create a cultural context wrapped around these 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 images outside of just what their rarity might have been based upon a set of attributes that were already pre-coded. So when folks talk about value, when folks talk about longevity, it's what we do with the assets that are presented in front of us. It's it's how we 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 interact with them, how we build stories around them that will really predict or talk th- or, or, or highlight which things will, which assets or which art pieces, which works will stand the test of time. And I think what we had done with the crypto cookout was a monumental cultural moment for the space in general. A, because it cemented the narrative that fractionalized or community ownership of high value assets is very important. It talked about the um, reclamation of digital identity from the hands of other folks that may not have thought it was valuable to the community in which seeks and, 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 and knows its inherent value based upon their own um, lifestyles and their own consensus. And of course, became a potential tool for wealth generation. Because we had bought both the Holly and Tiara tokens, uh, another anonymous owner of a, of a black crypto punk titled that one Lupe and gave 22% of its fractionalized shares to every participant of those community bits. When that was purchased recently for about 165 ETH, that was a $125,000 airdrop that was literally distributed to all of these contributors. And so for folks who participated in this historic moment, wealth generation became real. It became possible. It was inextricably linked to the story that we had built. So storytelling and cultural context is everything. And that's that's how we'll know what, what's going to stand the test of time. It's it's amazing. And it's it's almost like it's social genealogy it's more than just people, it's culture. Uh, and so, you know, my, my dad spends a lot of time on Ancestry.com. He's looked up our, our entire family tree and writes stories about them. And, you know, I feel like what I'm doing collecting crypto art isn't really that different. And that, you know, I want to collect pieces that I can pass down to my kids someday. And you couldn't really do that with digital content before. And so maybe, Maria, how, how do you think about this as, as an investor and some of the opportunities, you know, for businesses, 
A lot of this seems very community driven. You know, how do corporations, how do how do startups like where are the opportunities to, to build here? Yeah, I think powerful communities at their core are actually distribution platforms, right? Like, you know, and, and, and that that is very commercially powerful. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure you can speak to the visa purchase. I think that was a really interesting way that a corporation used purchasing a, an NFT, a CryptoPunk in this case, to signal their identification or, or their knowledge of a certain community. I think another example recently is um, there's a streetwear brand based in LA called The Hundreds that collaborated with um, an NFT community called the Board Ape Yacht Club. And the Board Ape Yacht Club has 10,000, you know, has 10,000 board apes. I think they have something like 5,000 owners of the board apes. And they are a very, very passionate community. A lot of them, you know, have changed their profile pictures to these apes. They really identify as these apes. A lot of a lot of these apes have their own Twitter accounts as well. They they are they are they are completely anonymous characters and personas online. So this streetwear brand partnered with Board Apes, sold out in a few hours. The um, the founder tweeted afterwards that in you know the 18 years that he's been working on this brand, this is the 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 amount of traffic and, and kind of the activity that he saw on the website was insane. And that's just a small glimpse of what happens when you tap into these NFT communities. We spent some time earlier talking about you know, are NFT communities actually country clubs? Like, are they are they too exclusive? Are they exclusionary in some ways? And I think Amir made a really great point, which is that the way that we're looking at NFTs right now is that the filtering mechanism is based on whether or not you can afford an NFT. And that is exclusionary, but that doesn't need to be the case. Um, NFTs can actually be earned, right? And I think Amir brought this up as well. NFTs can be earned and they can be gifted. So what happens when we take that mechanism to its uh, next level? So there are platforms that are giving out NFTs only to people who have proven that they have a certain amount of knowledge for something. So Rabbit Hole comes to mind as a platform where by completing certain tasks um, within the crypto space, so for example, by using certain DeFi protocols, users can actually earn an NFT to prove that they've done this task. In this case, the NFT actually becomes kind of the reputation that one can build online. It, it's a it's proof that you know something or that you can do something. And so I think what's really interesting is once NFTs form the reputation and identity of, of online personas, these types of communities or these people can be can be identified very easily. And you know, the 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 kind of distribution power that they can have I think will be very, you know, the, the the type of marketing that can happen, or maybe even marketing is not the right term, but like the the power that can happen when you tap into these communities, I think is is very very interesting. So, I think that's one aspect. Um, not to mention that within the NFT space itself, there are a lot of directions that it can go in. Um, the user experience on Ethereum is not great right now, and I think there's a lot of efforts to to make it more amenable to mainstream. And so there are a lot of projects working on how do we bring NFTs to the mainstream? How do we lower the barrier for usage? I think that's an amazing investment opportunity because 
you know, what happens when this is available to everyone, right? When it's when it's not so inaccessible. There are a lot of opportunities in thinking about how do we support these NFT communities since these communities are, are effectively social networks that don't really neatly fit into the bins of a Twitter or a Facebook or an Instagram, what is the new type of social networking platform that can emerge that exclusively supports NFT communities? I think that's an amazing investment opportunity as well. Um, there, there's genuinely a whole world to be explored here, I think. It's exciting because there is so much to be explored. And, and I think that's why it can feel overwhelming at times but actually that's the 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 great feeling of like the unexplored territories and and where all of this could go. Um Kai, I mean, it might be worth throwing to you. I mean, I think in your press release from from the CryptoPunks piece, you described this these new forms of commerce. What did you mean by new forms of commerce when when you said that and and what are you hoping to learn from the experiment with the CryptoPunk and other things? You know, like what's the hypothesis in all of that from a business standpoint? Yeah, so I think for us, is is we spent a lot of time learning about and following the NFT ecosystem. We're really trying to draw some parallels and compare it to e-commerce and how e-commerce emerged. And it was really exciting to think about the possibilities of NFT commerce, uh, particularly if you think about you know small businesses and individual creators. You know, the internet enabled them to sell online you know, to a global audience. But you still have to, you know, produce, pack, and ship physical goods, and you know that has a, a a high upfront cost, and it's just it's hard for a lot of people to be able to do that at scale. And now that you have this new tool where you know any creator, you know, with an idea can now produce or mint this you know digital good. And they have some of the same tools that multinational gaming companies have, and now they can build a community without having to, you know, hire a hundred engineers. Like we think that there are all new types of of small businesses and ways that you know creators can can earn a living, and and just purely the velocity of commerce that can happen when you have these you know digital bare goods and possessions that you truly own. And you know you can resell, and so it's fun just thinking about. Imagine every physical possession in your house, if you could click a button and you could resell it to someone across the world, and there was no wear and tear, it would change your entire purchase behavior. You'd know that whatever you bought, you could then use, and then you could resell. And so it's just it. We see this happening with sneakers and with you know other you know luxury handbags, but it's so limited because you have to have this physical real world component when it's entirely digital and the supply chains are digital um, we think that you know it it can grow gdps and so we're really excited about the potential we wanted to learn we wanted to to collect and i think you know i've spent you know a lot of time just trying to understand visa's history and you know it's it's fun to think back to you know the days of dhawk and you know how visa came together and all these artifacts that we've collected and it was exciting to say, like, let's add a new artifact to that collection. And now, you know, there aren't that many artifacts from the early days of e-commerce. And it's like, it's just, it's hard to be able, what was the first e-commerce purchase? How did that work? You can have artifacts from the early days of, of NFT commerce. And then I think the last piece that that's relevant, you know, for a, a lot of our audience in fintech is how does this change the broader consumer experience 
for neobanks and digital wallets and crypto wallets. And we're seeing this convergence, you know, particularly if you look at companies like FTX, where you know they'll start as a crypto exchange. You, know, you trade your, your Bitcoin there. And then now they add stable coins and now you can hold dollars. You know, what if they add stocks you know, in the future or tokenized stocks and, and now you can access those? And now they have NFTs. And so now it's like your core financial service, your core app is not just a utility of a way that you have your hold your money. It's you know part of your identity. It's part of your culture of these assets that you truly care about. And so I think it, it means that payment companies, that banks and fintechs have to become more culturally relevant and aware brands if they're going to compete and be that wallet that a consumer uses. And one of the best ways to learn how to do that is just get involved in the ecosystem. You know, it's hard to just read and like, it's like you have to actually participate to be able to learn. So I think that's been exciting. For Step in some do. I love that. Uh, guys, um, one of the things though, I've got to play that role again is to be like, surely NFTs are doing so well because crypto is doing really well. And is crypto doing really well because all speculative assets are doing really well. Interest rates have been at an all-time low for a long period of time. Money printing is at an all-time high. Um, there's too much capital in the economy, and it has to go towards speculation. So are NFTs just speculation? Uh, Maria, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's undeniable that prices are rising very, very quickly with NFTs. Um, and there are a lot of people that are purchasing NFTs just to you know, just to flip them, just to sell them again in a few hours. So, you know, I, I think speculation is is definitely part of the narrative with NFTs today. But I, I think there's there's a thread to pull on here that's more enduring than speculation itself. I think speculation points to the fact that they these are very liquid assets, right? Like if you we can speculate on on baseball cards and we can speculate on sneakers, but you can't actually flip them and sell them in in a few minutes the way that you can with NFTs, and and that's actually a kind of new and interesting behavior. The way that it's manifesting itself is through speculation, sure, but I think it actually points to the utility and the interesting applications of NFTs itself. So I think there's that thread. But the second thread is that the you know the the these communities actually will endure. I believe NFTs didn't come out of nowhere. They feel like they they just all of a sudden popped into the public consciousness, but actually NFTs have been around for longer than DeFi. And I think people don't realize that. Um, and in the in the trough that was 2018 and kind of this bear market after the euphoria of 2017, after crypto prices fell 80, 90 percent, NFT communities persisted. The reason why I got into NFTs is through exploring this project called CryptoVoxels, which has kind of pieces of virtual land and you can walk through and people have built these amazing art museums effectively and and you can kind of walk through people's galleries and collections and look at their art that was all happening in 2018 and there was a community then and i think these types you know these types of human connections that nfts enable people are just beginning to see the potential of that and they actually will will live through this early euphoric speculative period that we're experiencing Amir, build on that for me. Like, what are your thoughts? Is it just speculation? But also, as you look forward, does something come after the speculation? So it's great that we have both. We have, and I think if we look at the previous cycle, what it taught many folks in the space is that you have to build things that are sustainable. 
you have to build things that can weather a storm. And when we think about, especially the early art marketplaces, there were many that were available to 2017, 2018, uh, 2019, and many of them did not succeed. But for those that have stood that test, it's because they built with intention. They had ensured that community, and when we talk about community, we say it a lot in this space, but we don't take it lightly. Like we, we have to really, really make sure that the folks that are a part of this group are rewarded by giving, by contributing, but we also have to create those pathways for folks to contribute in an unfettered way. And if, if there are many barriers or blockers to prevent folks from naturally wanting to participate, then your community does not pass go. It just, it just, it's very hard for it to move. It spins on its wheels. And so the reason why like super rare known origin, which are the older art exchanges, some of the first still are here, uh, it's because they were able to build, uh, and trudge through the, that, that harsh terrain when crypto was at its lowest point. And so is there speculation? Of course, because this is an interesting and very new way in which we're undoing and creating all new sorts of pathways of, of exploring, supporting, patronizing, creating media. And as such, there's going to be all sorts of like thoughts around, well, what's, what constitutes value or, or, or how can we scale this or, or, you know, who's willing to pay X amount of money for something. I mean, as an experiment, you could, any artist could build something and say, I wonder how much somebody would be willing to pay for this. It, that's speculation, but it's a, it's an experiment. And if it ends up working, then cool, you've created something that someone found value in, and that's well and good. I think the, the one of the other discussions that always happens is a lot of folks in the community from an artist perspective or certain creatives have felt that when folks come in to make money and then they leave, that they're not contributing to the ecosystem. But I would argue that they are. They're contributing in in two ways. The first way is some of these folks want to come in for the money, but they they help us see what's possible. For many of folks that like, for instance, like Jay-Z as an example, came in, bought a CryptoPunk for the immediate and swift kind of response, then sold his reimagining of his reasonable doubt cover, and then has disappeared since. That doesn't mean that he's not in the space, but it only happened within like a two week sort of time period. And many people were like, oh my God, Jay-Z's like not contributing, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, no. It shows that if you have a very succinct idea that you want to execute, then you can make that happen. Whether or not Jay-Z could have made $20 million off of that sale truly depends upon him, his team, and what he wanted to actually do. But for for me, I look at it as he was testing the waters to see what would happen. And he succeeded in that. And I think that that's, we need to have people who do that. We need to have people who are building in this space long-term and we need to have everything in between. And speculation plays a really big role in all three of those different aspects. And looking ahead, this goes back to the anthropological question that Kai had asked me earlier about what kind of stands the test of time. And again, that takes a seedling of an idea that a community can mature over time, um, not too rapidly, not too slowly, but finding its rhythm. I mean, communities that find their rhythm with the types of media that they're creating for the larger communities to to enjoy or just for them to enjoy will make the difference between what ends up staying and what doesn't. And of course, NFTs are going to be any and every sort of like fun, like non-fungible, soft fungible and potentially fungible asset that at least permeates digitally. And we're going to find ways to blend between both digital and physical worlds too. It's such an important point that 
you know, there's plenty of financial speculation, there's no question, but there's also social speculation. There's also emotional speculation. There, there it's experimentation in, in many different ways from many different people. And I think that that's how you know real innovations emerge when you combine those forces. And so it's really hard to tell where it's going to go, but it's clear that there are amazing, talented creatives and entrepreneurs and engineers, you know, who are having a great time, having fun, you know, participating in this space. And and I think that the the fun factor of it and the experiments that are happening now are, are gonna lead to some really significant you know, products in the future. Absolutely, Kai. Well, um, to, to wrap us up then, what I've heard today is that the non-fungible tokens uh, are media or art that directly link the creator and the audience in a way that wasn't possible before. And because there's this open public record, we've got this perfect provenance that unlocks a whole bunch of new interesting properties. And it means that communities can kind of evolve around these these bits of media, these bits of art, and those communities can add functionality to the bits of art, feel a sense of connection to the creator, to the to the art itself, and to the community that sits around it. And yes, speculate on that um, in some way, shape, or form. And so all of that is just going to lead to things that, as Kai said, we don't even know what it's going to be yet. But that's super exciting. And I, I want to thank everybody f- so much for joining us in this discussion. Uh, where can people find out more about you and, and uh, what you're involved in? Let's start with you, Amir. Sure thing. So uh, I'm most active on Twitter. You can find me at Sirsu, S-I-R-S-U. For me, I have three projects that I'm managing for the most part. Uh, one is called The Mint Fund or at The Mint Fund on Twitter. Uh, you can look us up on themint.fund. Again, that's a fund that helps, uh, it's a community owned fund that helps artists uh, get onboarded into the space from a global perspective. Our focus is Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. And then, of course, the LGBTQIA spectrum, and then folks who are both physiologically and neurologically diverse. So there's a there's a whole host of, of, of a cast of characters there that we really want to support outside of just kind of like the Western lens. So the Mint Fund is, our, is the first property. The second one is called The Well, which is a cultural index uh, predicated upon sort of like building our, our web of culture that gets passed down upon generation to generation. You can find us at well is culture on Twitter or the well dot is is. And then the third thing is Blackhand, uh, which is again, my decentralized esports team and gaming community. Uh, we just launched last week. You can find us at Blackhand. It's, uh, has a weird, interesting Roman spelling, all consonants. So it's B L V K H V N D. Uh, you can find us there on Twitter as well or uh, blackhand.com. That's where you can find me. Incredible projects. Thank you, Maya. How about you, uh, Maria? Yeah, I would really encourage anyone who's thinking about building NFT projects or or really interested in digging into the space to to reach out. I love chatting about NFTs. And, and if you are building or thinking about building something in the space, I would love to chat with you as well. Anyone can reach me on Twitter at Maria Shen or uh, through my email, maria at electriccapital.com. Awesome. And how about you, Kai? On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and you know, visa.com slash crypto. 
Fantastic. You can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter or 11fs.com. And thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, remember to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Bug everybody you know to, to check it out too and leave us a review. That helps us so, so much. I really can't say enough. And if you love the show, but you want to hear something different or you have some feedback, hit us at podcast at 11fs.com and we'll, we'll see what we can do to get you involved. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.